Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm conducting the AI Artist Audit, in which I'm going through every main aspect of my creative practice to find out just how ready I am for automation. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the AI Artist Audit. Um, well, I mean, it's morning time. I've got the coffee pot on the go. This is going to be an autonomous ramble this morning. It might be disjointed. It might not. I've got notes. I've been planning. I've been considering. I've been going through my creative practice to interrogate myself in the hope that it might help some of you guys to identify ahead of time which aspects of your work might be at risk of automation because that's the the future we face, isn't it? Let's be right. There's been a lot of discussion around this stuff um, about the threat that we face as designers, as artists, as communicators, visual communicators, um, because the machines are getting pretty damn smart. It's impressive stuff, let's be honest. It's mind-blowing at times. The capabilities of image generation, of concepts of writing, that these um, m- the machine learning programs. Uh, do you know there's going to be a lot of Luddite language in this show? I apologise in advance because that's where I'm at and what I'm not setting out to do here is to give you any kind of um scoops i am not a tech savvy guy to give you an insight i still hand write email addresses into cells in a spreadsheet which is very rudimentary that's how i keep my databases that's how i keep my offline communication to my mailing lists because i don't want to be at the mercy of algorithms so that when instagram or facebook cause uproar by changing some guidelines that shafts me or means that my posts aren't getting seen by as many people. I'm not going to be absolutely crestfallen. I'm going to be mildly irritated and then I'm going to change lanes. So that's one way of thinking. That's what this podcast is. I want to encourage smart thinking about your own practice and hopefully by going through my own thought process, given that I have a practice that covers podcasting, fiction writing, non-fiction writing, original artwork, live artwork, performance, murals, um, hand lettering specialist. If you know my work, if you know this show, you'll probably know by now that I'm quite a broad creative practitioner. I like to explore. I like to work out where my ideas and skills can fit and how I can build something new and how I can engineer new opportunities, new exciting pursuits. So I'm in a relatively unique position that doesn't really work is it relatively unique no such thing i'm in a a position let's say where 
I, I tick a lot of boxes. I work in a lot of industries. And what AI has done for me is become a very thought-provoking presence. I'm not terrified of it. I'm not against it. But I... And and to be honest, in isolation, the machine stuff I find very exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to help us, you know, particularly people like myself who are not particularly organised or savvy in terms of staying on top of everything, whether it's um, communications, tax, the rest of it. I think things like chat GPT are going to offer a lot of helping hands in that regard. What I'm very concerned about is human morality. We live in a capitalist society, don't we? Um, and... I don't trust for one second that the people who are pulling the strings, the people that are funding and creating AI have morals that line up with supporting artists and independent creative professionals. I just don't believe that. Um, we're going to get into that in a minute. I don't want to get too deep too early. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I would like to create some conversation. So I'm very prominent on LinkedIn these days. I would advise that to be the, the go-to place if you want to contact me and start a, a, a chat i like it because it's there's no politics so there's very little politics on there and it's a professional environment and, and uh, i can get deep about creativity and get some really interesting intakes uh, input from lots of different people you know so get me on there easy to find i'm also the second best is instagram i'm still very um present on there at ben talon or at creative condition underscore if you want to get the show's Instagram handle, but I would suggest Ben Talon because I'm more frequently on there. But I would love to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your fears. I want to hear your hopes. I want to be disproven. You know, if I'm completely wrong, which I'm likely to be with a good deal of this stuff, come and tell me why. I want to create discussion. I'm a big believer. I'm, I'm not... I'm very against cancel culture. I'm very much pro-debate. That's not to say that I, I want a complete open field for dickheads to come and throw bigoted opinions around. That's not the case at all. But I'm very um, cautious about people being afraid to say something, even if it is going to bring value to a conversation or discussion. I think um, Brexit was a great example of that, how we all slung mud at one another and created divisions which just allowed the, the dickhead media to exploit for billionaires everyone's position let's face it i'm not going to get you know overly, poli overly political on this i just think um i don't think that blanket black and white all the time does good for anybody so i want discussion i'm very blessed in my social life that i have a lot of friends from many different backgrounds and i can sit down over a beer we can agree we can disagree we can shout we can be pissed off with each other but ultimately we all leave we all hug and we've all learned something from each other and for that reason, it's it's. Um, I find I've got this lovely ecosystem where I can learn from everyone, and I can be wrong, and I'm going to be wrong on this show because, I, like I said, I'm not tech savvy. I haven't even touched AI. I haven't done anything with it. But what I'm what I am is aware. I'm aware of its capabilities. I'm aware of what's happening and what's soon going to be very replicable, and what's going to retain its creative value because it's human. And I think we're soon going to see a major split. And I think a lot of the former, the stuff that can be duplicated, replicated, parodied, is going to be swallowed up. And I think it's really important that we all think about our own practice and look at the value, the human value. The stuff that we bring, that AI not necessarily can't replicate, but just cannot originate. 
Do you know what I mean? So that's my school of thought on this. Um, it's affordable. It's accessible. It's going to solve a lot of problems for people who don't have budgets, and I think we have to face up to that. So I, I'm sure you all saw... Oh, rewind. Sorry, before I get in too deep. Um, one of the people who I've had big conversations with this about is Illustration X. This isn't just a cheap plug. They are the founding sponsor of the show. You should go and check out their awesome work, illustrationx.com, etc. They're brilliant. They're a B Corp. They're doing a lot of good stuff. And a part of that good stuff is they're in big conversations with the likes of the AOI, the Society of Artists Agents, about intellectual property and artificial intelligence. Major, major cornerstone conversation. Because, so a little while back I got an email from a friend, and I ain't going to name names, but he'd said, my friend AI is a problem, and he'd stuck his own name in, I think it was, I might be wrong, but I think it was Adobe's AI, um, stuck his own name in there, pop, up comes a bad version of his work, but a distinctly obvious version of his work. And it's like, whoa, that was one simple prompt. And that's, I know that's trying to be his work and it's not too far off. He does it with a friend. This friend does 3D, uh, 3D lettering. Bread and butter, 3D lettering. Amazing work worldwide. Boom, up it comes. His work there. Obvious. Bad version of, but learning. Learning all the time. And the way that AI works, the speed of learning and the reading and it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be there soon. And that's why I started to have all these thoughts. And it, it took me a little while, but I hadn't noticed for a while that it was shaping my thinking. It was informing my thinking. Now, whether that's good or bad is subjective and open to debate. But it started to, you know, I would find myself in a position where I came into the studio and I sat down and what I would do would actually be influenced by my awareness of AI. So I'll, I'll give you an, an example. One of the first things I'm going to talk about in terms of my practice is my line drawing. Um, and I was very aware that if I'm just creating objective line drawing, I now have to consider whether this is for a commercial client, whether this is an original dried ink on paper piece of artwork. Because if that's the case, there's very much still a, a desire for that. People like something that's made by a person that's unique, that's handcrafted. There's value in that. There always will be value in that. Therefore, that bit, I think, is reasonably safe. However, well, once upon a time, I would have been commissioned to illustrate, let's say, 20 ink line drawings for a feature on blah, blah, blah. And I might have got anywhere between 500 and 750 quid for that once upon a time that was the majority of my living costs when i was just a, a young fellow on my own without a family living in manchester paying 300 quid a month rent happy days i could have relaxed for the rest of the month these days i'd be lucky if it pays my electric bill but that's another conversation um but the point is it's not to say that i'm not going to get commissioned because there is value in the human relationship, right? And there's there's the thing of negotiation and customising and changes and, and specific layouts and all the things that I can bring through my experience, through my skill set and through my interest and passion for the job that a machine cannot yet. But if someone sat there with a lack of budget and they can't quite meet my cost on that and I don't want to come down low enough to um, endanger the industry, to undermine my my you know, my experience and my, my ability, then there's a problem, isn't there? 
Now, until now, that problem has been addressed by stock imagery. But, hey presto, here we have this thing that can originate new artwork. All that has to happen is a few steps of, uh, a few degrees of separation from Ben Talon. And I don't have a leg to stand on because I can't say that's Ben Talon anymore. They can go, well, it's a bit like Ben Talon, but it's not, is it? And we haven't mugged your images off, so see you later. <laughs> so it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So that began to come into my thinking. I'm going to get into that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the core practices and my thoughts in terms of what I feel I'm going to have to move forward with more, whether I like it or not. What I'm excited about moving forward with, because I've been, sometimes a push in the right direction is not the worst thing. It can speed up a process that might take us years because of fear or because of, um, you know, the idea that it's not reliable and all those things that hold us back from pursuing a dream. So that's what I'm going to do. So like I said, Illustration X have been very proactive. We've had concern. It's uh, from a lot of artists represented on the agency. It's been coming up in monthly newsletters and, um, you know, there are, we're reassured that at the moment on the intellectual property front, we're all right, you know? But I don't believe that that's going to last. If I'm being very honest, I think people are very unscrupulous when they have to be, and I think money talks. Um, so on that, I guess you all saw the, the, the big story about the photographer who refused the award. If you haven't, here's an excerpt from The Guardian. I think it's um, very, very interesting and thought-provoking. Um, a photographer is refusing a prestigious award after admitting to being a cheeky monkey and generating the prize-winning image using artificial intelligence. The German artist Boris Eldagsen revealed on his website that he was not accepting the prize for the Creative Open category, which he won at the Sony World Photography Awards. The winning photograph depicted two women from different generations in black and white. In a statement on his website, Eldagsen, who studied photography and visual arts at the Arts Academy of Mainz, Conceptual Arts and Intermedia at the Academy of Fine Arts in Prague, and Fine Art at the Sarojini Naidu School of Arts and Communication in Hyderabad, said he applied as a cheeky monkey to find out if competitions would be prepared for AI images to enter. They are not, he added. We, the photo world, need to open discussion, said Eldagsen. A discussion about what we want to consider photography and what not. Is the umbrella of photography large enough to invite AI images to enter? Or would this be a mistake? With my refusal of the award, I hope to speed up this debate. He said it was a historic moment, as it was the first time an AI image had won a prestigious international photography competition. Adding, how many of you knew or suspected that it was an AI generated? Something about this doesn't feel right, does it? So... It was a mental story. It was very. I'm glad it happened. I mean, the you have to wonder that he won. It's kind of like, wow. Okay, so you enter an award, but you, short of paying off the person who's running the award, there's no guarantees that you'll win. So there's almost this kind of. I don't know. There's so I don't believe in fate particularly. I'm not a destiny based person, but I think that there's something about that, isn't there? Something interesting. Anyway, um, it's fascinating. Photography is a weird one. I, um, I recently was in touch with a art director for Ogilvy in Kenya called Robert Obaga. Have a look. Um, he does a, a project called Rob's Mid Journey where he generates these images based on quite complex prompts. Uh, a lot of them around Kenyan culture throughout different eras. And the images are fantastic. They're spooky. They're weird. They're eerie because there's a certain death behind the eyes which is present in that photograph that won the award and now go and have a look at it it's really interesting and 
I saw it straight away. Now, as an artist, that got my juices flowing because I read, you know, dystopian fiction. I write stories that have been described. Um, my stories to the Apocalypse series were described as somewhere between Roald Dahl and Black Mirror, which is the best compliment I've ever had. Annoyingly, it came from my editor, so I can't use it as a pull quote because of conflict of interest. <laughs> um, but because of that, oh my God, I was straight on to Robert and I'd been in touch anyway just to send him some samples of my work. So I went back and I said, these mid-journey images you're doing are incredible. How open would you be to letting me have a play with them and add another layer of humanity to them and, and do a little collaboration? And he's well up for it. And sadly, I haven't had time to make a start on it yet, but it's very much in the pipeline. And that's exciting to me as an artist exploring this new medium. So here we have the narrative that then the latest technology has always been seen as a threat, right? So the internet. I have friends who used to have to deliver their artwork via courier on a CD-ROM. I have friends who had to deliver the artwork in a tube rolled up on a bicycle. Um, and here they are still smashing it, still in the industry today, able to WeTransfer images anywhere in the world in an instant. And I think that's wonderful. There will be people who love that. Who got, whose careers got ended because of it, because it didn't move. So now that's another conversation about adapting and how much do we have to adapt. It's a personal decision, isn't it? If it turns us green and we don't want to be in the industry anymore and we can't handle that, that's absolutely fine. I can I get that. So that depends how this moves, isn't it? But then there is also that, you know, we have to assimilate the new technology into our practice. We have to be aware of it. Now, at the end of this show, I'm going to read you a fantastic excerpt from... Andy Sandoz, who was on the show way back when on episode 19, former creative director at um, Havas, and he was the president of DNAD for a little while. So I'm going to read that, and he touches upon that kind of need to assimilate the latest tech without, you know, you don't need to know how to use it, but to be aware of it, to allow it to inform your thinking is exactly the point of this podcast. I don't intend to use it. I intend to collaborate with people who are using it. I might have a play with it. Maybe somewhere down the road it will make a cool book cover. But as I get into later in this show, it will always hinge on the idea. The creative will always serve the human idea. And that's where I, uh, my standpoint is. So the way I've decided to do this is there are three... I, For the point of this conversation and from my perspective, there are three major hinges that I feel are particularly relevant here. The first one is morality. So even with the greatest ethics in the world, if you're an art director and you're hamstrung by budget, stock imagery becomes a necessity, right? My wife is a graphic designer and she works on magazines where they they don't have a, they don't have any photography budget. Can you believe that? They have a stock subscription, so it's her job to to rat around the stock websites and find an image that she can work with and apply her creativity to to turn it into something usable. It's the best she can do. She does it really well. That's the case for a lot of people, especially in the print magazine world, because the budgets are just not what they were, because that industry is not what it was because of the internet. Um, I know photographers who earn a, a significant percentage of their crust through royalties from their personal photography, um, travel imagery, found items. They're, they're always sort of got one eye by being aware of the technology on what they come across that will be a good stock image that can earn them royalties while they are not doing anything else. So it just becomes a part of their income, much like Spotify might become a, a, you know, a stream of income for a musician. Are they the devil for doing that? Of course they're not. Absolutely not. But now, with AI, they gain an extra layer of control and customization because of the, the likes of Midjourney. Should they ignore that new tool when they can't afford to commission an illustrator or a photographer? Absolutely not. Of course not. Why would they? So in their eyes, that's a positive. Now this 
is where the grey area, we're in a sea of greys at the minute. Because it's new and we're learning and there are pros and cons like every other form of technology. But this must be carried out with morality. That's why this hinge is important. So until this AI thing plays out some more, we ask women in a sea of greys with only islands of black and white. For example, you know, blatant plagiarism, mimicry. It's just wrong. It always has been. It's been morally bankrupt from day dot. You've all seen the big cases where a big high street store, think of um, Zara mugging off Tuesday Basson. Horrible. So blatant. And, and blatant in the way that the government fucks us over and doesn't give a shit because they can. You know, that's where we are. Um, but on a one-to-one level, we're talking differently. We're talking about art directors, you know, who, who care, who are designers, who have come from the same education and roots that we have. So there has to be morality. Um, but it is a hinge. There's not always going to be morality. Human nature means that you're always going to get a bit of everything. So that's one of the main things, right? Um, so to rule the use of this stuff out altogether is... Of course, it's preposterous. We can't go after it with pitchforks and burning effigies, right? Because that's when everything goes wrong. I've seen blanket stubbornness to modern technology in action with elderly relatives and the likes, and it can get really ugly. I've seen really bad circumstances of what have happened when people have become so far alienated when it could have just been a simple learning process that could have made their life a lot easier. Um, we don't need to get into all that today, but that's a real thing. That's a real threat. So efficiency and ease of use, that is the next hinge. It's hard to overvalue a, a relationship and the human process of negotiation. So with, for example, with my hand lettering, right? What a customer with a budget is paying for is my mind, my instincts and ability to understand and respond to an image by arranging and creating my lettering with the utmost sympathy to its need to breathe, right? It's nuances and it's broad strokes. So I collaborated with Marius Boog, who's a Norwegian photographer who works out of New York. He's fantastic. Shoots a lot of bodybuilders and ballerinas, which I adored. So a mutual friend of ours connected us. We had beers. We had a chat. And I said, I'd love to bring this new kind of hand lettering and this, you know, me working with photography with my paint strokes and the likes to your incredible images of ballerinas and uh, and bodybuilders. And we did, uh, he shot the number two bodybuilder in the world at the time called Kai Green. Looked like a in Mars bar, he's that ripped, you know what I mean? Like that level bodybuilder, impressive stuff. And I did this series called A Plus D, which meant Angels and Demons, you know, it was it was just this, a chance for me to let loose. And what made that a very human-centric project was my sympathy to the image. The friend who connected us was one of the best creative directors I've ever worked with, and he helped guide me in terms of feedback and he said no look you've overkilled it the, the image is the hero here the photography you need to let it breathe you need to supplement you need to give it new life but you don't need to overwhelm some of the best advice i've ever had and that i've carried forward ever since that's the benefit you get from a human relationship but as machines become more intelligent which they will which they are as we speak without doubt they will be able to match and surpass this but for the moment Anybody who can afford what I bring in that regard is going to pay for me because we all enjoy that human relationship. But that's a finite liberty. Make no mistake, no matter how much creative directors, art directors, designers and editors want to work with people, if the authority in any given company that they're at the mercy of sees profit margins and efficiency upped by AI, which way do you think it's going to go? You know, the morality and the desires of them people that I just mentioned are going to be a fart in a thunderstorm. Is, is that true? 
How many of you can honestly say that you've completely boycotted self-service checkouts in supermarkets? I use them. I've got twins at home. I've got a dog to walk. I've got clients to pacify. My lifestyle is ridiculous. It's like a slapstick. It's like a Norman Wisdom comedy at, at times. It's sped up. I'm running through supermarkets while I'm listening to a podcast to research for a podcast I'm doing while I'm emailing a client. It's it's ridiculous. It really is. I need eight arms at times. So, of course, if I get into a supermarket and there's eight people deep, I'm going to leg it over to the self-service. I'm also, if I have the you know, if I have the time and I see a short queue, I love the interaction with a person. I like the social. I want to support that person because I believe we need these people to be doing those jobs and they need it for their livelihood quite blatantly. Well, otherwise, why would they be there? I don't think anyone chooses, um, you know, many jobs just for pleasure. We're in a privileged position, I think, as artists and designers that we get that joy. Um, I might be wrong. There will be cases where people do. But the bottom line is, right, we all use them. It's become a part of the landscape. This is going to become a part of the landscape. God, I mean, can anybody credibly argue that the driving force in any of this shift, particularly where it comes to things like automation in supermarkets, is not the widening of profit margins? Of course it is. We live in a capitalist society. Money talks. Um, and over the last five years, we've we've all noticed the widening of the economic gap in in the industry. In our, I mean, I have in our industry. My clients are becoming sort of, and bless them, I love working with them. But I'm getting a more kind of instances where I have to think about the morality, where I'm getting big clients. I have to check their ethics. I can't, you know, I can't look myself in the mirror and find myself. As someone who loves graphic activism, who has a lot of causes that I want to fight for, I can't look myself in the mirror and, and exist entirely on clients who have dubious morals. I Thankfully, I have very little. I don't have many at all. And when I do, I have to find ways to make sure that that finances better work in my life so I can move to a better place. But I think we're all in that position. We live in capitalism. Let's not get all like holy grail about this. Not many of us are in a luxurious position where we're able to build a practice that is exclusively in the do-good space. Last episode, if you want to go and listen to one, fantastic example of how it can be done um, with John from Pretty... Uh, oh, God, I've gone blank for a minute. <laughs> pretty Clever. I was going to say Pretty Decent. They're really decent. They're awesome. Pretty Clever Studio... That's a great example. It's inspiring, and I, I implore you all to go back and listen to that, episode 193. Um, but it takes time to get there, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, I wonder that if AI might become just as prevalent at the lower end of the market, so in editorial, for example, because of tightening budgets, album covers, book covers, jobs that don't pay particularly great, um, as it will be in you know places that make the rich richer, big corporations, all speculation, of course, but in this capitalist society, you rarely have to look further than economic gain for motivations behind any decision, you know, and and do they ever pass that bill on to consumers? And Well, they pass the bill on, don't they, but they don't pass the goods on, the profit. Anyway, another conversation, but again, all stuff to bear in mind. Um, creativity is the third hinge, and I realise that there are no bounds when it comes to the capabilities of AI as we move forward, and that's something we have to take as red now because that's what that's the track we're on the speed it's moving at is terrifying so we have to accept it and take it on board um but just now for the foreseeable i don't see human creativity becoming one of those capabilities mimicry yes of course already happening already happening very well randomly generated or prompt based new iterations of existing art of course you can do it look at the oil paintings it's replicated that used to take you know half a lifetime to create 
Um, but this is why we must fight and come together. We must fight for our IP and strong laws to prohibit this. We can't sit back and just be scared and watch it happen. We have to. We have a lot of love and a lot of unity in our industry, and we have to pool it. We have to use it. We have to make ourselves aware of organisations like the Association of Illustrators, who do bring us together in numbers, and we have to support them to make sure that we um, we don't get overrun with when it comes to intellectual property. But actual creativity. So I can hear you asking, what's the definition of it? I've just written my second non-fiction book of it. I've just finished the first draft. As we speak, 120,000 words, ridiculously big, going to get trimmed down by my editor. But in that, I've referenced Sir Ken Robinson's ref um, definition of creativity as applied imagination, or he also refers to it as the generation of ideas that have value. Hmm. Perhaps some semblance of, but never quite the same when it comes to AI. My concern is that if we are to go by creativity's historically undervalued role in education and society at large, the way it lurks in the shadows of profit and, and obsession with economic growth, then those who pull the strings would happily take creativity out of the woodshed and blow its fucking brains out. Would they not? They're already trying with the e-back and everything else because there's no logic behind those decisions. <laughs> all right, let's not get all conspiracy, but there you go. Food for thought. So on that basis, unless I state it in the following examples, I, th I think to fortify our practice as independent artists, designers, illustrators, whatever we might be, most effectively, we have to assume the worst, right? Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That's the old adage. And the worst is that the wealth gap will continue to widen and that AI will rapidly improve. They feel like that's inevitable, doesn't it? Meaning where we can be cut, we will. So that's the assumption in all these examples. I'm prepared to be wrong. I hope to be wrong, right? Like we do with anything that's horrible, like the climate crisis or the war in Ukraine. We hope that we're wrong about our worst case scenarios. But what that's the human brain. Throughout history, throughout our evolution, we've evolved so that fear is the default mindset because it's a survival mechanism. That's fact. That's scientifically proven. So that is the case here. Let's assume. Let's assume for the worst. Um, but for the, yeah, for the purposes of this personal audit, money continues to talk. Right. So let's get into it. Let's start at the beginning, right? So I kicked off in 2008. I went full-time as an illustrator after a handful of commissions in a briefly full-time spell and then a part-time spell. Uh, anyone who's read my first book, Champagne and Wax Crayons, I detail meticulously how, why I did that, how I turned that creativity into a career. So I go through that whole process. So if you do want to read more about that, the book's out there. It's currently half price on bentallandwriter.com. Grab a copy. I'll sign it. Um... So the first one, what I was doing at the time was line drawing with spot colour. That's still a major part of my practice. I'm about to split my portfolio down the middle. One part of it is predominantly line drawing with minimal subtle colour. So I've looked at it in two categories. So that was both representational, I mentioned earlier, objective line drawing of things. Conceptual, I would work on conceptual editorial illustration. Go and have a look at the people like um, Ollie Hurst, for example, does amazing scientific illustration conceptual stuff for new scientists and all kinds of amazing clients he's been on the show recently that's a great episode if you want to go and listen to that for an illustration gem um, but Ollie Hurst is a great example right I think that both of these are on the red list the endangered red list because I believe that I, I, I mean it, I believe that machines will absolutely if they haven't already learned to comb the internet generate basic and even good interesting conceptual illustrations how could they not there's so many examples out there and i heard somebody brilliantly described for example chat gpt as 
a parrot that swallowed the internet. <laughs> that's what it is. We can laugh and we can dismiss it on that basis, but I think we would be naive to do so. I absolutely think that AI is going to be able to generate conceptual illustration based on you know the right kind of prompts. So I think they're on the red list. I think my line drawing is very easy, easily mimicked. Maybe they can't quite get to the Ben Talon specifics, the nuances, but I'm not naive enough to believe that people, you know, most people in the face of shrinking budgets won't be able to just leave that at the door. Of course they will. Of course they'll drop that and get something close because that's what people have to do with restrictions. That's the reality of um, of money and their budgets. So I think that will quite possibly make that obsolete. It's not that I'm leaving it behind or, or, you know, moving on from it, but I have to take it forward in a way that, that is aware that it can quite easily be parodied now. I am not going to rely for any of my income on my line drawing anymore. It's quite sad, but that's the truth. I'm not exactly um, happy about it. I, I didn't plan to move away from it so soon, but here we are. That's what's happened. That's the paradigm shift. So I think the only thing that's going to prevail here in terms of my line drawing illustration is the ideas behind the work. The, you know, the details, the nuances and the ideas that make, for example, my drawing of a traffic cone mine, that make it Ben Talon, that could only be from Ben Talon. That's where it's going to prevail. I have to find that market who appreciates and wants that Ben Talon. I have to kind of um, fortify myself against the portion of the market that can't particularly afford me and now has a viable, affordable, accessible alternative. That's the reality. So that's where I'm going with this stuff. So I'm now going to apply it to original artworks, bespoke stuff, book publishing, things that have my handprint all over it, but bring an idea, bring Ben Talon's mind to the table. That's the difference maker, isn't it? I think with a lot of this stuff. Um, so I, the example that I pulled out was my recent book and associating print, Your Mum, uh, and other stories from the back streets of Britain. It was a, a, a 21 short story collection, flash fiction, very small, little pocket book, 21 black and white line drawing illustrations of found items, commonly found items on British streets. It's a very urban, gritty, dirty, filthy little book. The the quote on the cover is from Sean Ryder, and it says, proper moody and horrible stuff, this. <laughs> Which was a joy to get. Um, so that remains unique. I'm still going to publish zines. I'm still going to publish and write my short stories and illustrate them. I'm going to do original artworks that you guys can buy. And of course, I'm going to take on any commissions that do come my way for my line drawing. But the fact is, it's on the red list when it comes to commercial use of that style. Um, another example of where the human touch is quite important was my cover for the New York Times. It was the Arts and Leisure front cover, 2021, of Joni Mitchell to celebrate 50 years of her iconic Blue album. And that was a lovely back and forth process between myself and Jen, Jen Ledbury, who was the art director. And they, they won an award in the um, New York Publishing. I forget the name of it. I think it was Society of News Design or something along those lines. And Jen won an award for a set of six of her works. Mine was one of which. Massive compliment, beside the point. Um, the fact was, we 
sculpted and molded that cover. We sat there and we, we moved every element. We brought in subtle watercolour textures. We complemented an incredible photograph. And I, I created hand lettering. So it brought in several of my skills. It brought in my ideas, my conceptualization. There was a lot that happened that would have taken a lot of arduous work even with the capabilities of a machine. So again, there you go. Food for thought, still a market, but we have to be aware of that. So the action here is humanize, 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 right? It's think, lead with Ben Talon and Ben Talon's ideas, Ben Talon's life experiences that feed those ideas, Ben Talon's fucked up weird humor that pours into those ideas. If I just sit there and offer line drawings of objects for clients, I am fucked because AI has taken that market. That's my uh, conclusion here within my own practice, of course. You might argue, you might disagree. I hope you can prove me wrong because I love my line drawings. But that's the way I see it. Um, so there you go. Accept and enjoy all the editorial work that comes. But I think you can only direct so much of your energy that way when you consider the shrinking editorial budgets and the capabilities of artif artificial intelligence, right? Let's open up that conversation. Hit me up at Ben Talon um, or hello at bentalon.com if you want to get into it on email. There, that's that one. So next on the list is animation and motion graphics. So during the pandemic, I saw a significant rise in motion projects because while some markets closed down, very luckily I was quite versatile. Like I mentioned, the sheer amount of things that I do, I was always scared of the fact that I'd put all my eggs in the basket of illustration and visual communication, at least in terms of my education, right? I've since evolved and learned because I know that creativity, you can learn for yourself, you can be whatever you choose to be, call yourself, by getting the experience in said field. So if you animate, you're an animator. If you do art, you're an artist, right? Um, I got this raised in an email from um, Sarah J. Coleman, who goes under Inky Mall recently, you know, you don't have to stand on ceremony, you can go and learn and do this stuff, that's one of the glories of our industry. Um, and because of that, I was able to kind of slide over to another industry. And what we found was that during the pandemic, everybody sat on their couch freaking out and stuck in their houses, apart from the little walk we got to do during lockdown. What that meant is we got the biggest year on record for home entertainment. So all the streaming platforms went through the roof. I know people who worked in sports streaming industries and their business went boom because of it, which, you know, there's always an upside. There's always a silver lining for some people, of course. Um, but what that meant was I picked up a few lovely commissions. I did a, a film about Jason Robinson, rugby league and rugby union legend for BT Sport. I worked on a YouTube project, um, YouTube originals film about Gareth Southgate, where I provided all the illustration. So that was cool. And I would say the same again. So we saw the major rise in that market. This is an interesting one. I think that AI might be a game changer in this world. Again, it's hard to imagine that it cannot provide basic and even high-level motion graphics for people who can't afford or want to save money on animators and motion designers. It's another hard truth, much like the editorial one. That said, I do believe the human aspect of this applies much the same as it does within illustration. I think the collaboration, empathy, unique ideas when it comes to the creative will be what might, you know, um, might... How can I put it? I think it might better proof me in the coming automation apocalypse. Do you know what I mean? Again, it's bringing those ideas, it's bringing the unique idea, the customization. For example, you know, the 1920 by 1080 pixels frame for screen that we have at the minute. Standard frame to create in for design. I know intrinsically well 
how to set my specific style up within that workspace. I can do it with speed and efficiency. Don't get me wrong, the machines will too. I'm vying against that. But when it comes to a motion graphics person who wants to bring in my style of illustration and bring it to life for a film, for an advert, for whatever the motion might be for, at this point, I think they're going to value the human relationship. The speed of getting on a phone, talking it through, knocking it together, bouncing it back and forth. I think to do that with AI just now, it's going to be very clunky, very frustrating process. Again, it's going to speed up. <laughs> but again, the human mind, the idea, the, the experience, the lived experience, that what's going to save this stuff. So I can't comment from an animator or a motion graphics perspective. In fact, I would love it if somebody got in touch and helped me to understand better their world and how they see it. Again, this is why I want conversation and debate around this. Uh, I would like to, to have that discussion and evolve it and help people to you know prepare and prove themselves for it. I just think as far as the functionality side of it, the nuts and bolts of bringing motion to static images... It's only speculation, but I would make an educated guess that this kind of labour is in danger. Labour. That's the word, isn't it? It's not creativity, it's not ideas, not artistry, but it's the labour that I think is going to be at risk. Anyway, moving on. Hand lettering. My hand lettering, Talent Type, that's my brand. It's a luxury service. It's bespoke. I'm very aware of that. Not everyone can afford just to commission one word and pay me you know, a few hundred to a thousand quid for it, whatever it costs, depending on the project and the license. So that's the market I appeal to, the people who respect and love the bespoke side of this, because I create per image, per film, per frame, with sympathy to the image. That's how I arrange it, that's how I kern my word, that's how I paint my lettering. It's a very kind of instinctive, human, responsive process. So... Um, what I will say is I wasn't the first to be doing this and I certainly won't be the last the first person who asked me to do it sent me reference images and said something in this sphere but bring you to it so it's degrees of separation right I constantly get emails going oh uh, mate did you do the, the Nissan campaign or the Sky Sports campaign which was another recent one and I have to go no <laughs> sorry mate I didn't know yes did the comic relief one yeah I've done that for WWE or Adidas but I didn't do that one and I don't have a leg to stand on because I wasn't the first here and I wasn't the one you know I'm not going to be the last out the door the truth is we can all pick up a brush and paint some words what differentiates me is incredibly nuanced so that you know a, tr a very experienced creative director will be able to see what makes it Ben Talon that said if a machine replicates it I don't really have the IP on this so again, the idea has to come to this. It has to be the humanity, the collaboration, empathy, unique ideas. When it comes to the creative, that's what's going to help here as well. Um, I don't feel like this is the most threatened aspect of my skills. But it will diminish. It will become... The machines will quite quickly become more capable of creating graffiti lettering, the rest of it. So I think this is threatened. I think what I have to do is find is build relationships and find people who want my ideas and my control of this. Even then, I don't know. There's a mirroring of the stock image conundrum here, isn't there? Not everyone can afford to pay for this luxury, so again, this is where the widely available fonts come in. Where it's stock image in photography or illustration, here it's the fonts that you see that sort of badly ape my brushstrokes or anyone else's brushstrokes who's doing hand lettering. But there's a place for that, isn't there? 
for campaigns who don't have a lot of money. Again, it's, it's that's what that's where AI is going to come in. So it's kind of a market that already couldn't afford me. So who could you know? How could I criticize them for going to AI for it? The danger is when it properly gets close to what I'm doing. That's when I'm a bit stuffed. <sighs> Short of the ideas. There's a theme coming up here. There's a thread. Anyway, um, do you know one bit that I do want to dip into here? And um, it's design. I haven't I haven't got it down as a thing because I'm not a designer. I'm not a graphic designer. But I want to give you an example of someone who I think is... I don't want to say safe. He's not safe, but he's an example of what will be valued. And it's Dave Sedgwick. I caught up with Dave at Off Festival in Barcelona recently. did a fantastic call, talk. Um, and Dave is... His mind is fantastic. He's one of my favourites when it comes to concepts and the love and attention to a certain brand and learning the history of the brand, the motivations, the values, their story, the story of the founders, what they want to achieve, and distilling that into powerful, thoughtful, considered, well-executed design. Dave Sedgwick is among the best when it comes to that. And that is what's going to be valued. So in graphic design... You know, that's what I mean. It's the human. It's that ideas process. So I think if you're an agency, let's say you're an agency like Collins or Ogilvy or whoever else, I think you're all right. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of creative directors from those kind of entities coming out and saying, we needn't worry. It's a new tool, but the creative will always be valued in their world. I would agree that. So if you're doing projects that are amazingly built on ideas and care and attention to detail and relationships and understanding of markets and all the other variables, then I do think you're going to be all right because I think you can assimilate. At that level, you can assimilate AI as an awesome tool. It's us lot down here that are independent makers that are at risk and that's sort of who I'm speaking to in this regard. But if you're an independent graphic designer or a freelancer, then... I think you have to go the way that Dave Sedgwick goes. I think you have to develop your ideas generation, your conceptual skills, your love for the clients you're working for, because that's what's going to stay afloat, isn't it? If you're just, if you, if someone's just cracking the whip and you're doing what they ask in terms of placing type and arranging stuff and and you know pulling pieces together, puzzle style, then you might be in danger food for thought not my realm i'm not going to comment too much on that but that's the way i see it so the next bit um live events murals without doubt one of the safer parts of my practice i'm working an event at silverstone in oxford coming up silverstone weekend it's an associated event uh, in the city center where i'm going to be creating um giveaway original ink drawings to do with formula one that's cool Love those kind of jobs, you know, love the social aspects of that. I love talking to, to drunk people and who come over and ask a lot of questions while I'm drawing. I love that energy. I'm a social guy. Um, so I get a real kick from that and I've always enjoyed it. That's cool. Maybe that's something I'm going to have to expand within my practice because of AI. Simple as that. Murals, yeah, do a lot of original art. I do it for agencies. I go into places and I do, I do live walls at events. So I think live is good. Here's another one. A friend sent me a TikTok and it was a video showing this new wall printer. Fucking hell, is anything safe? <laughs> that's, what, that's my initial reaction. It's like, oh shit, here's a really small device. I don't know how it works, but on the demonstration, they were feeding in 
an image set up for print and the thing was printing high res on the wall that image i'll let you uh, digest that one but that's a thing that's out there it's it's probably well expensive now it's not going to be soon is it like all tech once it becomes a thing it comes down in price so what's to stop somebody from going i want to use that old art or copyright artwork and stick that on my, on my agency wall let's whack the printer on come back after a pint at lunch Wee! <laughs> oh it's kind of scary but it's also exciting because there's only certain aspects of my style that i can do live so um it has to be a really raw punky extreme of my artwork just now look at the recent project on bentallon.com and you'll see the sips it might even be the first project the sips mural that's the extreme of my style that i have to do live at the minute and that's what people love because it's very human but who's to say that somebody can't ai generate an image that's close to that that's not mine to swerve the copyright buy the wall printer stick it up off we go but also who's to say that I suddenly can't create any aspect of my style and buy myself the wall printer and offer it as a service. <laughs> now we're talking, aren't we? This raises again the whole conversation about how much do you adapt with the technology. Food for thought, anyway. Original art, it's the next one on the list. This year, I had a, I, the first three months of this year were a continuation of my longest ever quiet spell, which was pretty terrifying, if I'm honest, and it did send me on some bad ones and make me question a lot of things. Came out of it, I'm in a decent patch again now, but I'm on guard. Original art was one of my saving graces. I was commissioned by a number of people to create canvases for personal anniversaries within their family, for something one of a kind to go on an agency wall for example i love doing that stuff that was a place that i wanted to go to a little bit more within my practice anyway what ai is doing is just kicking me there a bit quicker it's going go on get out if you want to do it go and do it make it happen that's the way i've got to see it i've got to see the positive because otherwise it's happening isn't it for all the other reasons i've just detailed in editorial and everything else i'm less precious than i once was but then the flip side of that is that in the original art world, something that I love doing, something that I'm quite good at because I've done it all my life. Hmm. That's going to be more value than ever, isn't it? Human, human art is going to become the vinyl record, you know, of our world. It has to. It's the only way it can go. Digital saturation is going to happen and people are going to want some original artwork that you can see the spray paint running down it. You can see the mistakes, you know. So I think original art is something that I'm just going to have to load it up with personal emotion and just go big and, and, and push down that road as well. Um, next on the list is writing. So writing, I'm a keen writer. I'm doing it more and more. I'm combining it with my illustration. Clients are now starting to use my writing along with my illustration, which is incredibly exciting. Some of them are bringing me on board to, to interview people as part of projects. I've got one of those on the go as we speak because of this podcast. Um, so my multimedia capabilities are really coming to the fore now and that's very exciting for me and I think it's something that's going to be more valued because of artificial intelligence. But writing is about the lived experience, isn't it? Once again, mimicry, replication, yes, um, it's all going to happen. ChatGPT is already doing it. The next ChatGPT, I think it's number four. My God, there's been a lot of debates whether we can morally release this into the world because of what it's going to do to us as humans and, and all the, the the heavier stuff to do with that in terms of the you know rise of the machine shit 
But in terms of my writing, you know, I write about personally experienced human creativity when it comes to my non-fiction. My next book, The Creative Condition, is an absolute monster. I'm very proud of it. I'm excited to get it out in early 2024 and I want it to help strengthen human creativity so that we can meet this challenge of AI and that we can make sure that all the people that education is getting failed at the moment by can can realise that they're creative too and they can, you know, their life story has value. So that's what pours into my writing. Um... You know, if you think about things like copywriting, chat GPT is probably a major headache. But again, the human relationship is going to be valued. In terms of my fiction, short stories and prose, I think we're all right there. You know, I think people are not stupid. I think they're going to know, they're going to sense when there's a machine at the core of it. I think the human lived experience is a beautiful thing. And it pours out of any great book or film, or piece of art. So I think that, that we're probably all right there for the minute. But if you believe otherwise, come at me. I'd love to hear some counter-arguments on that. Podcasting and journalism. Um, I love it. It's Again, it's about the humanity. It's the consistent thread. I love this show. Like, don't get me wrong, I know that voice mimicry and everything else is a real thing, and, you know... Maybe somebody's already out there putting this podcast out there as Ben Talon and getting me in trouble for saying stuff that I shouldn't say. But for the minute, I believe that we want human interactions and that things like podcasting are very, very human and are very cool. So fingers crossed we're all right there. But overall, looking at all of this right, there's a consistent thread and it's humanity. It's the idea. I found that more clients are coming to me for several of these skills, as I mentioned, rolled into very interesting briefs. This is something I love, and ironically, it dovetails with the direction that I'd planned to go before I started to factor AI. All that's doing is speeding that up. So let's remember these paradigm shifts can throw up as many opportunities or kick us up the arse um, when we've fallen into comfort zones, but only if we are alert to their presence and the nature of the threat and take the right steps accordingly. That's the only way this works. It's the only way we we sort of we don't get adversely impacted by AI, isn't it? Let's face it. Anyway, uh, to, so I hope that's of some use. Anyway, I hope that it's a bit rambly, but I've gone through the core pillars of my practice and I've tried to sort of consider why I think that automation can kill some of it, or enhance other bits or push me a certain direction and I think it's the human isn't it do you know what I think it always was but I think that necessity meant that people had to come to us also for things that were very much just labour or grind there's a whole moral debate around that and it goes back to the self-service checkouts but when it comes to you know efficiency and affordability and everything else in a shrinking economy then I think AI is going to serve that pretty well. So how how well equipped are you? What's human in your practice? That's the, I think that's the thought process you've got to go on. I hope this gives you a kind of template to apply to your own practice. That's what I wanted to achieve from this podcast, and I hope that it's done that. So to sign off, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts. The first is from my Design Week column. It was an article I wrote about AI and some original thoughts when this was, you know, when ChatGPT and MidJourney burst on the scene. Go back and read the column if you want. If you just Google Ben Talon AI Design Week, you'll find it. Or just go on designweek.co.uk and search Ben Talon and you'll find all of my articles on there. And the latter is an excerpt from the forthcoming The Creative Condition book. And these are for you to chew on. Um, I think they do a good job of surmising the sentiments of this entire audit. 
Thank you for listening. Enjoy these excerpts. Um, and before I sign off, a big thank you again to the founding sponsor of the show, who are doing a lot of good work around intellectual property and AI at the moment, Illustration X. Go and check out their range of awesome artists on their roster over at illustrationx.com. Nice one, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy these excerpts. Friend and Studio DPD founder Dave Sedgwick also teaches graphic design. Recently he told me how he saw a student Google how to have an idea. Meanwhile, during my own occasional guest lecturing sessions, I feel dismayed upon walking into a studio space to find the entire room hunched over laptops, and over half of them using Pinterest. I spoke at length with Executive Creative Director of Jones Knowles Ritchie, Sean Thomas, who really gets to the heart of the matter. He says, What I've noticed is, a lot of the younger guys who were brought up before there were libraries in the studios, for example, they'd all go to the same three blogs to get their inspiration and ideas. Now, for an agency who tells prospective clients they believe in making their brand unique and charismatic, that results in a lot of mood boards that look quite interchangeable. I ask my designers what the quirk is, what makes it unique. Placing the type and making it dynamic isn't enough. One thing that drives me mad is when you see a designer working on, let's say, a magazine cover, and they go onto a website full of cool magazine covers. All you see is work that's already been done. I do think there's a danger of the technology making everything the same, restricting creativity. Will we all create our websites on Squarespace? Will we all work with the same three or four fonts, the same pastel colour tones? We are an industry that is about creativity, and that process is dangerously close to automation. You can only avoid that if you are pulling the ideas and inspiration from interesting and diverse places. The moment you're just pulling them from online blogs, well, technology can totally do that. So... You know, that, that's, like I said, that's from a Design Week column and excerpt. And it's a real, you know, it's, I think he hits on something really valuable. And is there an argument to say that we all got a bit lazy in terms of what design is? You know, by just chucking elements together and serving somebody's whims. I think we're an industry that's built on a, a love for creativity and, and fun and exploration and ideas. And I, I do think that's what's going to, you know, become the rope you know, the helicopter rope ladder above the ocean of automation. I really do. Anyway, moving on. This is an excerpt from The Creative Condition. And it's it involves um, some of my chat with Andy Sandoz, who was at the time DNAD president, who was talking a lot about technology's advances and, and creativity and why it can be a good thing. And the chapter's called Technology is Not Going to Shoot You. So here's a little taste of that book's going to be out early 2024. Um, you can subscribe to my newsletter on LinkedIn where I share excerpts and uh, bespoke columns around topics of creativity. Um, I walked into the studio on a design degree course and I didn't like what I saw. I'd been brought in to do a talk about my freelance career and hang around to answer some student questions. I arrived quietly and as I removed my backpack I quickly became aware of the sounds that I was making. It was tense. The only music or radio was private, piped into heads through airpods. Several blank faces looked up from laptops, phones and tablets and noticed me. I smiled, but it could have been a funeral for art school energy. A far cry from the curiosity and buzz I'd hoped for, given that these people were there with their lives ahead of them, taking those invigorating baby steps into creative careers. Sir John Hegarty writes in his book, Hegarty on Advertising. How creative thinking is deployed will change and evolve. To nail your colours to any medium or technology will sow the seeds of your destruction. Graham Wood's comments about the lack of tools being a good thing during his studies at Central St Martin's College, how those limitations taught great resourcefulness, adaptability and a range of transferable problem-solving skills swam into my thoughts. 
Well, is this the opposite? The smart device is almost a prerequisite for any young person in the 21st century. Presented risk and opportunity. There could be creativity prisons or windows to a world of rich source material. It was not my place to make that judgement about any of the students in that room or creative education facility. Nonetheless, I felt concerned over the lack of cross-pollination. I had no gripe with students using technology as tools to serve creativity and the idea. That's a major part of creativity. It always has been and always will. The narrowing of the creative universe is not just an education problem, but an industry one too. I've seen it as long as I've been a part of it. People and organisations forcing their creativity to serve the technology, cutting off so much possibility and chance discovery. Aesthetically pleasing work lacking spirit, fire or originality is what tends to result from this homogenisation. The work is technically sound, but could be generated by anyone with access to the same technology, putting the idea last. And now, automation is here. As we witness the rise of alarmingly accessible, affordable and earth-shakingly powerful, impressive AI image and language generators. Whether this is a good or a bad thing will depend on how we respond accordingly to our valuation of human creativity. I worried for the students. If they weren't leaving their desks now, weren't roaming the corridors, using print facilities, getting out, collecting stories and finding their own way offline, then stagnation and boredom would surely come, especially when opportunities, time and space to do so would be short of considerable wealth, scarce after education. This is not to bash on modern techniques, but it plays into the previous chapter's musings on chance, energy, approach and mindset. Creative director and former DNAD president Andy Sandoz speaks of technology with warmth and childlike curiosity. I'm a fan of tech used in the right way, not for its own sake, but as a way to solve problems and open up new opportunities, he says. We live in a world with a multitude of problems all around us and a paucity of solutions. We need answers, and I think they're going to come from technology. I don't think they have to come from ideas that are using technology, but are influenced by technology. I think if you understand the openness of the internet, the way AI or code works, then it will change the ideas you have. That could be a change to how you illustrate, make something, or simply how you approach your day. You don't have to execute with technology to do something, but it's a good thing to be influenced by it. I don't know how to code, but I don't care. I'm not afraid of it. A lot of people I know have this strange fear of technology. It's as if it has a gun pointed at their head. They freeze up. It isn't going to shoot you. Technology has actually brought back a good deal of human creativity. Unless there's a zombie apocalypse, we are going to be in the digital revolution for a long time. The art phrase, postmodern, is when the humanity returned to modernism. Modernism was quite stark, a certain way of looking at the world that wasn't very human. Postmodernism was when character came back. In the same way I see humanity returning to the technology. We've all seen tech, overloaded a little. We've all seen the matrix and been scared by the singularity and the sense that we've all taken the technology pill. But what's happening is, it's connecting us, creating more compassion. If you look at nascent political revolutions that we're seeing around the world, they've been crowdsourced because of the technology. The rising vinyl is almost a backlash to, to digital and the lack of tactility. So I think tech is empowering us in ways that you wouldn't expect it to. Anyway, there you go. Food for thought. Thank you for listening. You can hear that full conversation on episode 19, called Arrest on the Mix back then, weren't we? <laughs> and Sean Thomas joined me on episode 139, if you want to hear that full conversation. Like I said, I've by no means covered all bases here. 
but I just wanted to let you in on the considerations I'm having to make to future-proof my own practice because I believe that it's something we're all going to have to go through. So enjoy. Love your feedback. Get in touch. Cheers, guys. Have an awesome week. Bye.